page fright is recorded on the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Twitter at the Andrew French, and this, of course, is the world's only literary podcast that I host. I'm very excited to have you back. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about some poems, some poetry, and I'm so excited to be doing it. Um, we have a writer today who I have been excited to chat with for quite a while. I came across her work recently and uh, immediately fell in love with it. I, I am so excited to have had the chance to talk to Mana Hill. Uh, and I am very excited to be sharing this episode with you. Uh, we're talking today about a chapbook called Sprawl. It's out with Collusion Books. Uh, it came out, I guess, last year now, 2020. Uh, and it's a collaborative chapbook between Manahil Bondukwala and Conyer Clayton, who we've had on the show before. Hi, Conyer, if you're listening. Um, and I'm just so excited to be talking about this. It's a great little chapbook. Collaborative writing always piques my interest. Um, and I'm just thrilled to be sharing this episode. So um, without further ado, let's jump right into the bio part of the episode. Let me tell you who Manahil is, um, because that's pretty important to understanding, you know, what's going on here. So Manahil Bandukwala is a Pakistani writer and artist based in Mississauga. She has two solo chapbooks, Paper Doll, which was out with Anstruther Press in 2019, and Pipe Rose, which came out with Battle Axe Press in 2018, as well as two collaborative chapbooks, Sprawl, which we'll be talking about today, came out last year with Collusion Books, uh, and is a collaborative piece with Conyer Clayton, and Towers, which came out with Collusion Books in 2020 as well, with Seven, a writing collective. In 2019, she won Room Magazine's Emerging Writer Award and was longlisted for the CBC Poetry Prize. She is currently completing her MA in English at the University of Waterloo. Here I am, chatting with Manahil. I am chatting today with Manahil Bandukwala. Manahil, how's it going? I'm uh, pretty good. How are you? I'm okay. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, I am a big fan of your work, and today we're talking about a collaborative chat book as well as um, some of your past work. You've got a chat book yourself um, and all of these things, but I haven't had a chance to chat with you, and we're on different time zones, and it's Friday night for both of us, but for you, even later than me. Um, so I really, really appreciate your time, um, especially on a Friday night. Yeah, you're so welcome. Uh, with with COVID, it's not like I have big Friday night plans. So <laughs> yeah, it's lovely, lovely to chat with you. Awesome. Um, I guess normally we jump into a reading right at the start. Um, I know you mentioned you had some stuff from the collaborative chapbook, which instead of just calling it the collaborative chapbook, let me title it here for everybody who's listening. Um, you and Conyer Clayton have collaborated to produce a chapbook entitled Sprawl, The Time It Took Us to Forget with Collusion Books. Um, and it's so cool. I am so excited to be talking about it. Um, 
I won't make you read necessarily from it first, but could I get you to read something for us so we can get to know your style a bit? Uh, yeah, I will read from the chapbook first because it just came out over the winter um, and I'm pretty excited about it. And as we're recording this episode, um, it's less than a week to the launch for Sprawl. Um, and we have some very fun things planned. Uh, so definitely in just a, a sprawl zone. Um, yeah, I'm going to read from the start of the chapbook. Connor and I definitely have our favorite portion of this that Connor's already read, uh, which is about cows. So I'm not going to read that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so the chapbook is, it's one long poem. Um, so if anyone has a copy of it and wants to read along, um, it's on page five. Without burning yourself, I reach into a bubbling pot. I hiked through a forest yesterday, picked apart the newly fallen trees from older ones. Mutation is only natural in winter sprung in mushrooms and moss. I will become the tree that fell decades ago, a suit of the rotten wood of my skin. Moss cohabitates with dust. Unnatched, I change, sprawl, make my way down the valley. Crush white spring blooms, Crush fruit flies. All our times are still too early. So, for the listener, uh, we just lost our internet connection. Uh, but before that, we had a lovely reading, and um, I mentioned quickly before I realized that my internet had died um, that you read one of the parts of the chat book that I had flagged as a favorite, um, which seems to always happen on this show uh, and is one of my favorite things. Um, it's always spontaneous and always lovely. Um, but I have a lot of things that I wanted to talk about today, so I'm going to start with um, just a generic question here, which is that this is a collaborative chat book. Uh, and so I'm wondering what the communication process was like uh, between you and Conyer, who Conyer Clayton is a past guest of Page Fright. Um, you guys work together to create this lovely chat book. Um, so I'm wondering kind of what the communication process was like and where the idea came from. Um, so it started with Conyer reaching out to me and just asking if I wanted to work on a collaborative piece together and honestly I don't remember if we were thinking of it being an individual poem or thinking about it being a whole chapbook. I think Collusion Books had put out their call and maybe we were thinking um, about it as a chapbook from the get-go but to be honest I just don't really remember. <laughs> um, but yeah so it started out with Connie writing the the first poem, which is now the second poem of the chapbook, um, and sending it over to me. And we didn't have a plan for where uh, we wanted to go with it, how we saw the collaboration unfolding. Uh, she 
just kind of put the ball in my court to see what I would do with it. Um, and I think one of the fun things about collaboration is how you are able to speak to the other person. And um, it's just thinking about how we could weave both of our uh, poetic voices together. Um, so I took the last lines off the poem she wrote um, and used those as just a jumping off point. This was back in March, like really while uh, while that first lockdown was happening, while there's just so much unsurety um, at that time, um, I, I was visiting my family in Mississauga and we were supposed to go to New York City, but that was canceled. So then we were doing a lot of walks in the area and that was what a lot of people were doing, you know, going for walks. and thinking about connectivity and distance as well um, and also how you can be so close and so far. So all of these themes worked their way into the chapbook. It sort of follows a loose narrative arc um, and I kind of see three, uh, three acts happening in it, uh, so to say, which we I guess like this is maybe jumping a bit ahead, but for the launch, um, we found a way to bring out that story aspect that's going on in the chapbook. And yeah, just, just to tie up this question, I feel like it again wound down in a natural way and yeah, that storyline of it um, tied up um, fairly neatly. And we had a piece that we were just really happy with. Um, it was really, really easy and really fun um, working on this with Connie. Uh, she's a really good friend of mine and I have a lot of respect and admiration for her work. And just everything from writing, editing, um, working on uh, the piece we're doing for the launch like has just been incredibly fulfilling um, in a way that I think solo writing can stray away from. Yeah, I think right now is such a, I mean, you mentioned that you uh, kind of started this chapbook and this writing process and working collaboratively with Conyer um, right around the start of the pandemic. Uh, and what a lovely time to start an artistic project with somebody else. Um, as a way of staying in touch with them and working on something together. Um, I think that one of the things that has hit me most since we've been uh, in kind of like a, a lockdown, I guess, um, has been the isolating nature of writing. And I, I've realized this more and more. And so I think that's why I love doing this podcast so much sometimes is that it's like, well, most of the time, I should say, uh, is is that, you know, I get to talk to writers and um I get to feel connected to something in a way that I hope listeners of the show do as well. But um, I think it's just such a good timing too to be creating something collaborative around that time. Um, was it something where you, did it help you feel maybe a little less isolated as a writer to work on this? I think so. I mean, early in the pandemic, so I, was, I worked on this with Connie and then around the same time I started writing with 
uh, now we call ourselves seven, um, and we're a group of seven writers, and really that collaborative writing was the only writing I was doing, um, and I think that working with other people took some of that pressure off, um, where and in terms of the, the writing um, I've been doing with Seven, it was just each person wrote two lines. And with seven of us, and we went around twice, it was you, you had at the end of it a 28-line poem. But the amount that you had to produce uh, had a lot less of that pressure and expectation that I think we put on ourselves. Um, another good friend of mine, um, Liam Burke, said in a podcast with Literary Landscapes that as writers and poets, we're, like, we're not just observing the world, we're also, as we write, um, we're writing how we are very much embedded in it, and in isolation, you're kind of taken out of that um, community setting. Um, so then working with other people, and I think even even not 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 just writing um, in a way that it's like you're producing, sitting together and producing one poem or, or a chapbook, but writing through a community of other writers. Um, help just really helps with that sense of isolation um and I guess I guess you have to ex elaborate on that a bit um throughout the pandemic something that I've been thinking about a lot more um has just been what avenues I'm sharing my work through because I think there's definitely a pressure that comes with feeling um like you need to write something and then submit it to lip mag and it's going to get accepted and that's how it's going to go out in the world and people are going to read it um but the last almost year now um what i've been doing more and that has really shifted the way i i write and has been just really helpful to me for bringing joy into the uh practice of writing has just you've know, been been sending poems to individual friends right it's not oh. where I'm thinking of oh like I want feedback on this piece or I want you know something out of it it's just this is something I wrote um I'm happy with it it kind of responds to where I am right now um, and I want to share it with you so approaching sharing writing is something more like that yeah, I I love this idea. Um the so I think it's so easy to like get caught up in especially if you have Twitter, okay? This is the, <laughs> this is what I've learned, right? Is if you have Twitter and you're a writer, you will feel the pressure to publish um regularly, consistently, um and, you know, widely as well. Um but it's so much fun to do things and and this is the thing is like it's so easy to get caught up in that and then lose 
um, what you described there, uh, and it's so true, is kind of the joy of writing. Um, it is the ability to do these projects in the way that you want, have them uh, exist uh, in the kind of form that you want too. Um, I've been trying myself to kind of move away a bit from putting pressure on myself to publish in lit mags and stuff uh, and just focus on writing, you know, a poem that can be a poem. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to have more than that. Like, it's, I love the idea of sending it to somebody too, to have that sense of community exist around one specific piece of work. Um, is a very nice idea. I, I want to try it, is, is essentially what I'm getting at here. Yeah, <laughs> I found it really just wonderfully fulfilling. And yeah, just just like I'm, I'm no longer trying to find avenues through which to, to publish it um, immediately. Um, I'm definitely slowing down a lot more and taking my time with the piece. Um, so I think there's something when you when you write something and you think it's really good and then you come back to it a while later and you realize, okay, no, this needs a lot of edits. Um, or maybe it's not doing what you want to do. But I think being able to share that initial excitement. Um, and there's something just really wonderful about how excited friends are about your work. Um, that That is just wonderful and supportive and makes this this thing that we do that can become very exhausting uh just something very joyful okay we'll get right back to that interview with Manahil in just a second but I wanted to take a moment to tell you about today's sponsor. Of course, I am talking about a great place to send your poems again. Um, this is, of course, ARC Poetry Magazine. They are one of the oldest literary magazines in Canada, and their Poem of the Year contest is one of the richest prizes for poetry, with $5,000 going to the grand prize-winning poem. The entry fee for one or two poems is just $35 Canadian, and includes a one-year subscription to ARC. And you can submit more than two poems if you'd like, with each additional entry costing just $5 per poem. The deadline for entries is coming up soon on February 1st, so send in your best poems and enjoy a year of great Canadian poetry. More details can be found at arcpoetry.ca slash contests. Thanks, ARC! And uh, this actually, okay, I, it's a bit adjacently related, um, but I it's about time where I ask you my question from my last episode's okay. guest. Um, so my last episode, which was out on this past Wednesday, so you might have heard it if you listened. If not, that's cool too. But um, my guest was Marilyn Dumont. Okay. And Marilyn was wondering how you deal with a rejection letter. Mm. Now, this is very different from kind of what we're talking about right now in fact i find rejection letters to be uh, one of the things that like you can talk to any writer about it and they'll have some sort of opinion of like oh this is how i deal with it i have this specific strategy um because i find if we're talking about joy and writing and what is very much so a personal uh method of writing and sharing writing um the rejection letter can just be crushing so how do you deal with that 
I, I guess I'm, I'm, for, like, I'm fortunate to have acceptances that just balance out that, um, rejection letters, uh, I just, I have a big spreadsheet when a rejection letter comes in, I'll go and update my spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> And that's, that's kind of how I moved through it. There's definitely places where I think I felt like my work really fit and I was confident um, about it or I really wanted, a, you know, a certain piece to be published in a certain magazine and that didn't, uh, that didn't happen, um, which is disappointing. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't... Um, have that that many strong thoughts about it. I did receive a very strange rejection letter um, okay. that I don't know. I did like I I like rejection letters are just straightforward. Unfortunately, we won't be accepting your work for this publication. You know, communicating that, and then I kind of yeah go to my spreadsheet and this letter it just. I think it was trying to be uplifting, but it just felt belittling, <laughs> and I'm not going to name the magazine. Um, I also am coordinating editor for ARC, so I'm sending out a lot of rejection letters. Right, yeah. yeah. As part of my work, yeah. And I think maybe because of that and being on the back end of it and just seeing the sheer volume of submissions that are coming in and being in those editorial meetings and it really closely considering works um yeah I kind of know in a sense what goes on behind the scenes and that that makes them not 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 really sting that much yeah I I think for me um as like somebody who is still learning to be a writer and somebody who is trying to understand how the writing industry works and like how lit mags work and how rejection letters work I think my first perception when I was sending stuff out for the first time was that if I got a rejection letter they didn't take the time to look through the work mm -hmm. um but I think once you work and this isn't something I've done I've not worked at a magazine or a journal before but I think from the people I've talked to who have and do um the amount of care that goes into curating a publication um is immense and your work does not just get looked at once and thrown aside in most cases yeah uh right there are debates that i am sure get heated at times about what gets published and so um the rejection letter is impersonal in nature um but oftentimes that's because the rejection itself is impersonal it's not about you know your work wasn't good enough it's that you know we had this immense volume of submissions and for whatever reason yours isn't the fit yeah, uh, and because I, yeah. I actually, I started, when I started getting involved with the lit scene, I was volunteering with the magazine at Carleton, and so I was on the publishing side before I was really sending out my own work, um, and yeah, exactly what you're saying about, it's so hard to write a personalized rejection letter mm. that doesn't come off as belittling <laughs> I think 
<laughs> because I've definitely, you know, there's there's times when I felt an impulse to, but it's just, I think there's no way to really encapsulate or say something that the person probably has heard. And yeah, another thing on rejection letters is I'm thinking of Augur magazine, which tells you when your submission is long listed, when it's shortlisted, and they give such nice rejection letters. Um, you know, and I think that sense of magazines, like, and, and as I went on over the, like, three, four years I've been writing, um, one thing that was really actually heartening and encouraging to receive was rejection letters that told me I'd made it to the shortlist. Um, yeah. Because I think that it's, yeah, when it comes to curate a collection, you are then thinking about how pieces fit with each other. Um, you're thinking about page count. There's just so many, so many considerations there. But knowing that, you know, a piece like made it that far and people were talking about it. Um, I think, yeah, has has some, um, some like nice, nice feeling about it. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I think that's the thing too, is like, uh, like I, I've read your poetry and poetry specifically is one of those things where when you write it, it feels like nobody reads it. Because oftentimes, unfortunately, that's the case. Um, but it's so weird to um, think that there are people out there who actually read these words sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, like, like I've had, uh, I just published my first chat book, um, which is like the first little collection of anything I've published. Mm -hmm. And I saw somebody who posted a picture of the chat book on Twitter the other day. And they didn't say anything specifically about the content or anything, but just the fact that this person owned something that I wrote blew yeah. my mind. Like, it's so crazy to think that there are people, even if it's a small audience, who read poems and who are actively looking at the things that I produce and that any writer produces. It's such a weird, like, because I think this comes back to that idea of writing as being isolating normally, especially now in the pandemic. Um, you know, it's so easy to forget that there are people out there who read these things uh, and not just magazine editors and journal editors and, uh, you know, publishers, um, but actual poets who are also writing and people who just read poetry, too. Um, they exist, though, in small numbers, they exist. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know what? We're kind of in the middle. Could I ask you to read one more piece for us from uh, either from Sprawl or from something else? Um, I will read it from Sprawl, and we can chat about Sprawl a, a bit more. Um, cool. And I'm going to read one of the poems that Kanye wrote. And as I was going through this and trying to, like, find one that I wrote, one that she wrote, I was just looking at this thinking, I actually have no idea which one of us <laughs> wrote which poem <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but... I'm pretty sure this one's hers. And this is also uh, a poem that appears at what personally I kind of see as the last section 
um, okay. or like last part of the, the chapbook where it takes a bit of that third turn. Um, so. How do I keep a schedule when time has been disproven? Everything important actually isn't. Everything important still is. Others, love, tomatoes, mountains, kindnesses, water. This is what we hoard. I try not to think of you the way I think of myself, the way I think of everything as something, someone to pile around me. To be a chrysalis and already whole. A woman walked down the street, picking up garbage the snow melt revealed. I opened my door to thank her, something I'm not sure I would normally do. So you've done it again. Another part that I flagged as a favorite. <laughs> um, this time the flag sits next to the couplet. Everything important actually isn't. Everything important still is. Uh, which I loved. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was like one of the standout sets of lines from this chat book. I think that has been sitting with me. Um, every time I read it, I am like, oh yeah, that's why I flagged this page. This is awesome. Uh, and when I think about this chat book, I think oftentimes of these two lines. So very cool that I got to hear you read them on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you some questions about okay. Sprawl. So uh, before we got disconnected, I was ramping up to this question about um, length and mm -hmm. the length of poems because um, Sprawl in the title suggests sort of like a lengthiness to mm -hmm. the language and the piece itself. And of course, this is kind of a long poem that is also in these little kind of sections and also is a chapbook, which is a short form. So there's so many things going on here. Um, but I was really interested in just kind of hearing a bit about the editing process, given all of these different factors mm -hmm. in terms of were you like very concerned about cutting things down and making sure every line was, you know, really, really, really necessary? Or was it kind of like, oh, you know what, actually this line works here and I'm going to leave it here and not worry about it too, too much. Like, what was that process like? Um, well, so we did some editing on the, the chapbook as a whole once we were done writing it. And this is now a really long time ago, so I don't remember <laughs> too much um, where we did editing by ourselves. Um, and then we sent it to Collusion and Andy had a fair bit of editing to do. And obviously, so the order that the poems appear in um apart from the first poem which is actually the poem we wrote last and is comprised of lines that we repeated through riffing off each other um yes yeah, so andy had a fair bit of editing to do in terms of um thinking about the narrative and how the poem called back to itself um in a way that it, it's, it's difficult to do as a writer of a piece. Um, I think it's, it's difficult to be able to view uh, especially a long poem as its own um, or like as, as an entity as a whole to be considered. Um, yeah, so with the editing, we kind of 
yeah, how did that, whoever's film it was would have the final say, um, because we definitely wanted to still preserve our individual poetic voices um, in this. Right, right. I think, um, so first off, you mentioned Andy, and I'll just quickly shout out, hi, Andy, if you're listening. Um, Andy Verboom, friend of the podcast, past guest of the podcast, um, and also my old TA from Western. <laughs> Um, so weird connection, but, uh, very, very cool writer, um, and somebody who can, I, I can only imagine is a fantastic editor to have and publisher to have as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, these, these things that you're talking about too are so difficult to work through. And like, I can only imagine too, um, that last thing that you said is what is sticking with me from your comments there. Um, which is that you kept in mind wanting to preserve, kind of an individual voice amongst this collaborative form. Um, what what kind of goes into preserving that and thinking through that? Um, where does that concern come from? Um, well, so I remember one moment when, um, so one, I would like to say that Andy was a great editor, great to work with. Um, we're both super, super happy with the chapbook. Um, and all and all the chapters of this season are beautiful. Um, but yeah, so there's I remember one moment specifically where he had a suggestion um, for one of Connie's lines, and Connie kind of said that she wanted to keep the original because that is more true to the syntax of how she writes. So that that I guess is that's what I was thinking about when I was thinking. Um, about that idea of like editing, um, I I feel like I'm I'm pretty easygoing <laughs> with edits. <laughs> Usually I'm like, okay, yeah, you think this should be edited? I I agree. Um, I've started thinking a bit more about like having confidence in my own work and knowing what parts are sort of non-compromisable for me, um, and editing this chapbook with Connie and being able to have a bit more of a discussion about that was also uh, some something that helped me think about um, yeah how, how I wanted to approach editing my own writing and taking feedback because it's definitely on the more lax side of it where I will I will take any feedback and yeah <laughs> I think I'm the same way too, having just gone through um, editing my chapbook as well, is like I was very, um, I at least tried to be very receptive to feedback. And, you know, if there was something that the publisher was like, hey, you should change this or cut this or think about this again. Uh, for the most part, I just did that. Yeah. Um, because I, I haven't, I haven't thought about what you're talking about. And now I'm reconsidering. Um, should I have cut these things? Should I have changed these things? I, did um, not I don't know until like six months ago so <laughs> is that something that came out working with Kanye specifically um I think so I think just witnessing how someone else edits because normally in in a workshop setting it's like you kind of you give edits and you know chat about stuff and then everyone takes their pieces home and works on them and you also receive conflicting edits where some people will say this is my favorite part it absolutely needs to stay stay and other people say this is you can just cut this whole part out so um yeah it's it's so funny what resonates with people 
uh, from a work. And this is something that I've been thinking about a lot too, is like, I went through, uh, just yesterday, actually, I went through, uh, I was organizing all my documents on my computer and I went through some old poems and was thinking, man, these are really bad poems. Um, but I remember thinking they were like the best poems. Yeah. Um, and I can only imagine that if I were to put these poems out there, there would be a very large amount of people who would be like, this is horrible poetry. <laughs> and there'd be one or two people who would be like, you know what? I actually really dig this. Um, it's so weird what resonates with people mm-hmm. and what doesn't. Absolutely. I, I feel the same way about uh, my old work. And I don't know if some of it is because I'm so familiar with it that I'm just sick of it um, at this point. Um, Yeah. Or because, I mean, anything I wrote four years ago, I was writing when I was 19 and I was a very different person then. And I was a very different person even last year. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing, too, is actually these were some of the first poems I wrote, probably while I was taking the class that Andy TA'd. Um, and, and I was also 19 at that point. I was, like, just getting into poetry and writing and was like, man, this is cool. Um, and when I look back now, I'm like, wow, this guy didn't know anything about form. The things that he's writing don't make sense. Like, all these things that I'm criticizing. But there are parts of those things that will really resonate with people. Actually, it was my, this is weird for me to bring up, but my grandmother told me when I was telling her about this exact thing, that um, if you write something and you're feeling a specific way about it, there is somebody out there who feels that way with whom this will truly resonate when they read it, even if yeah. you don't feel that way anymore. Yeah. Um, and I Shout would... out to my Nana for that. Yeah, well, I had a conversation with uh, Nisha Patel, um, who is also a poet and she said something where I think it was a friend who told her that if she was writing her best poems three years into her career she'd have nothing to look forward to and that also just really resonates with me where I am yeah I think now at a point where I'm really happy that I see my writing constantly changing um and it's also this kind of funny and going back a bit to the conversation we were having about publishing because the things that are I'm writing right now that are in my drafts and I'll I'll read one of them um later on this podcast but they're so different from the work that's in my chapbooks and the work that's published and is out there and what other people read of my poetry and how they think of my poetry is very different to what I'm writing now um and that's also why it's nice to be able to share the poems you're writing in the moment with people because you can kind of show how you're changing and how your writing is evolving without submitting a piece and then maybe six to eight months later it gets accepted and then it takes another four to six months to get published and by the time it's out there you're just a different person from who you were when you wrote it. Um, I think I think that's the beautiful thing about poetry too is that when you think about form, it there's so much that you can change and play around with. Um, and like even if you know you did write your best poems when you were you know 19 and and that was like the best, there's still so much more to explore. 
that's what I feel like anyway, as a writer is like, and maybe it's just because I'm young and like in, you know, 30 or 40 years, I'll look back and listen to this and be like, oh, that guy, man, I hated poetry when I thought about it again. Um, But for now, I'm very much so excited about learning as much as I can and trying new things um, in in writing. And I think that's like just the natural evolution of being especially a poet, but I think a writer too, is there's so much to try that I don't know how you can get bored of it. (laughs) Yeah, I, um, I'm always, I have this fear that I'm just going to run dry of poetic content to, to write, and then I'll just have nothing. Um, and then, like, I, I feel like that, and right now I haven't really been writing, um, that regularly. I, I also do visual art, so I kind of cycle between doing um making art and writing so right now I'm in that making art phase of things um (laughs) and I think I'm sure I'm sure I'm gonna come back come back to my poems and come back to my scribbles in my journals that are not very good um (laughs) and think of something to make out of them yeah, I first off, before I add anything to this, I want to say to the listeners, um, go and check out, um, maybe Manahil, you can let them know where it is, but go check out Manahil's visual art because um, I watched a watercolor time lapse of yours the other day and it brought me so much joy. Um, it was it was so cool to watch. And like, I think, I don't know if I've brought this up on the podcast before, Um, but despite me, uh, being creative in that I want to be a writer and I try to write things, um, I am a horrible, horrible visual artist. Uh, and so I think whenever like growing up, you know, when you do like icebreakers or whatever in class and they would be like, what's the one skill you wish you had? I would always say drawing and then people would like laugh. Um, but like, I sincerely believe that it is one of the most difficult things to do. So I am in awe when I look at some of the stuff that you've done, um, specifically that watercolor of the like house facade comes mm. to mind. Um, yeah, maybe I can like link that in the episode or something. Sure, but, yeah, um, I, um, I kind of see my Twitter for writing and my Instagram for visual art. Um, and it's kind of funny that you you say that about um, yeah wishing you had the skill to draw because while um, while we were preparing for the video we're doing for the launch, I'm here thinking I really wish I had any skill in music oh. um, because yeah that's that's not something I know it all and I I wish I could play an instrument or sing or just do anything (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like everybody has like those one skills that they're like very very envious of people who can do it for me actually music is up there too Mm -hmm. I really wish I was more musical Uh, in fact the last episode I did I specifically remember Marilyn Dumont bringing up musicality and work Mm -hmm. and I was thinking to myself uh, I guess for the listener if you're following up on that episode here's an update for you I've been thinking about that what Marilyn said and thinking man I wish I knew more about music so I could get into the musicality of poetry and how rhythm works and all of these things because I think that's a whole other dimension uh to writing yeah i i've had conversations about this with my friend uh sana wani and we're both really um 
kind of inspired by and bring a lot of like Sufi poetry and music into our work and and so I do and this is again something that's come about a bit more in the pandemic and um, I've been just in the practice of reading work out loud a lot more and not just my own work but poems that I like and um, just want to say a shout out to my friend Liam Burke for kind of like sparking this but there's so uh, there's just a whole different experience that comes out of reading other people's poems out loud and being a lot more attuned to the way they bring musicality into their work and I think that's something I never really thought about a whole lot um, because both like writing and visual art uh, practices are very much hand on page uh, sort of thing um, and I think that being more in tune to that has definitely definitely changed um, just just like the, the way I'm writing and the way I'm using language and all of that um, and I, I write listening to music a fair bit um, and this is something that's like again in the works have shared with uh, with friends um, you know and still in editing phases but Liam and I kind of had like a back and forth where he was like writing some music and I was listening to it and writing um, and it ended up becoming kind of a chapbook length of piece that just like is thinking about souls and temporality and death but it's 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 kind of positive um I promise it's positive (laughs) 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 um but yeah like that is very much influenced by music um and really roots itself in it even if um I think music is not evident um in that interesting I think it would be fun to play an instrument (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I'm very bad at guitar, but other than that, uh, I I can't read music. I wish I could. Um, Manal, we are reaching the end of our episode. It's incredibly sad. Um, but I am wondering if you have a question for my next episode's guest without knowing who they are, because I, to be transparent, don't know who they're going to be yet. Fair enough. Um, This next guest is probably going to just kind of be like what what is this question (laughs) but I really want to ask it (laughs) if you could date a poem what poem would that be what okay when you when you started asking that um my jaw literally dropped like my mouth (laughs) opened and I was like what a great question I love this um if you've listened to the show you might know I do the mean thing now where I turn the question around um, and I ask you, so if you could date a poem, which poem would it be and why? Okay, I have l- listened to the show, so I'm fully prepared for this. And I have an answer <laughs> prepared. And I'm also going to cheat on my own question. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to pick a whole book. But also okay. there's a very specific poem in it. Um, so the book itself is Bahara Rang's Where Things Touch. And in that, there is this beautiful beautiful little poem um 
I'm gonna uh, attempt to read it from memory. Oh wow! Um, but it goes it goes something like, "We don't say I love you. That would be too easy. Instead, we get to the naked center of everything, or we get to the wow. naked center of it. That is to say, everything." That was really badly paraphrased, but anyways, that is okay. like that little section of poem that I choose. I think it just really speaks to a beautiful intimacy that is focused a lot more on the ways in which we show and embody care um, rather than just saying it. Yeah. No, I love this idea. Um, I, I haven't thought about this. I've been, while you've been talking, of course, I've been listening, but I've also been trying to think of how I would answer this question. And I don't know. I might have to DM you or email you and okay. let you know what I come up with. But off the top of my head, I don't even know. It's a really good question. <laughs> I love this question. I really hope the next uh, the next guest is not like... <laughs> <laughs> what am I answering yeah yeah why did I do this podcast yeah no I I think they're gonna love it I think it'll be great uh, I'll try and find somebody who will have a cool answer for this question um <laughs> yeah uh I did mention we are reaching the end of our episode um so before we leave could I get you to read one last piece for us yeah um so this is uh the last piece that I had picked out um is also sort of related to this very strange question that I asked. <laughs> um, but again, sort of influenced by pandemic and isolation, I've been thinking a lot more about uh, poetry that looks at joy and specifically what love poetry holds. And been like thinking about just, yeah, like how to go about constructing a love poem and that is where this question of if you could date a poem em emerged um, um yeah so this poem actually has a title unlike the other two um <laughs> that, that i wrote that i read that are just excerpt from sprawl walking through rainstorms to a tryst I hold you the way astronomers draw constellations for each other in the markets of wisdom. Michael Andache from The Ninth Sentiments in Handwriting. I hold you the way sandalwood embers ash onto a white desk after the air has cradled burning incense for nine sunrises. I hold you the way gardening trees suck up fertilizer from flower beds bursting their berries onto empty beer cans. I hold you the way astrologers read the minutiae of our joys, the intricacies of our grief, and the mirrored curves of our jawlines. I hold you in carved mountain caves where we lie down and let the jungle vines squeeze over our joined wrists. I hold you the way a ladybird once tickled its way down my index finger. Skim a hand along your spine, 
look at you looking at me like the touch of my toe to your shin is like being held so tight you cannot breathe. I hold you the way light refracts saffron off your sweaty forehead as I ride you to orgasm. I hold you the way old ballasterets invite birds to gather at midnight on the sleeping island. I hold the grief that roots and flowers in you and you hold mine. Grief does not uproot when held, but we hold it anyways. I hold your hand against my butterflies on summer walks, pressing my thumb against yours when my fingers ache. They ache from the act, but never from the intent. The intent of holding is nine postcards of places where I will hold you one day. I hold your face to my chest when morning dew sniffs out lingering sweat. I hold your ear closed with my collarbone as if to say the world no longer is. The world always is, but in the brief moment of my skin against your skin, it is not. I hold your body with my heels crossed over tucked snug in the small of your back. My whole heart untranslated, I hold you. Wow. That was... Uh, <laughs> I, I, this happens a lot on the show where, like, I feel very compelled usually to, like, comment on, like, a poem that somebody's just read. Uh, but I, I genuinely, uh, I enjoyed that so much and don't know what to add because I was just so caught up in the poem. Um, I did write down one line, though. I hold the grief that roots in you, um, I thought was beautiful. And that whole section on grief um, was, I, I mean, I'm just blown away, uh, Manahil. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. That was one of my favorite poems I've heard on the show. Um, I am so excited that people are going to get to listen to that. Um, thank you so much for sharing that poem. Yeah, I was really happy to. Like, this is one of the ones that, again, um, is a more recent one that I've written and have kind of like submitted it to some lit mags but and 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 um yeah when I wrote it sent it kind of more like directly to people and it's been just really nice sharing it <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah what anyway, a beautiful though, poem don't have I I, re I really appreciate you reading that you. Oh my goodness. Um, well, that is our show. We're going to end on that incredible poem. Um, Manahil, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been so great to chat with you. For the listeners, uh, the chat book, I'll just plug it again, is called Sprawl, The Time It Took Us to Forget. It's out now with Collusion Books. It is, of course, by the voice you have been listening this whole episode that isn't mine, Manahil Bundukwala and Conyer Clayton, past guest and friend of the show. Um, it's lovely. This has been lovely. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and, and chatting with me on a Friday night. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. And I think that time is not really real. I'm, I, I don't work a nine to five job, I guess, um, is also the, the big thing. <laughs> fair enough all right time is not really real take that for the next two weeks listeners think about that um and we'll we'll be back thanks so much manahil thank you so much uh for this conversation
so there you have it. That was me chatting with Manahil Bandukwala. Um, a really fun chat, and I love a couple things about this interview. Um, obviously, that last poem blew my mind. That was genuine. I really, really enjoyed it, and I thought it was so good. Um, but another thing, too, is I've been thinking since I talked to Manahil, and it's been about, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks now since I did this interview, I've been thinking a lot about kind of the personal nature of poetry and different ways that you can share it outside of traditional publishing. Um, so I'm very thankful for that. So thank you, Manahil, for getting that uh, idea kind of rolling in my mind. And uh, it's something that's that's been on my mind for the past little while as well. If you enjoyed this interview, there are plenty more. This is episode 47. So hey, there's 46 other interviews you can check out related to this one specifically. You can listen to the episode with Conyer Clayton, but you can find all of our episodes at anchor.fm slash pagefright. Super easy. Um, if you want to make this official, you can follow us on Twitter at pagefrightpod, as well as subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can also, of course, leave a review. Just as important as reviewing poetry is reviewing a poetry podcast. So um, go ahead and tell us what you like or don't about the show, um, and I'll do my best to make those adjustments for you um, or continue what I'm doing. Who knows uh, what, what you feel about this. Um, but if you've made it this far in the episode, I hope it's positive. I hope you haven't tortured yourself to this point. Um, that's pretty much everything I have so far. I've already recorded next or the episode that's coming out in two weeks, um, and I can tell you it's one to look forward to. It's a very, very cool episode, um, and so I hope that you will subscribe and, and stick around and, and listen to that one as well. And if you're listening to this way in the future, hello from the past, you should check out the next episode too. It's, it's a good time. Um, so without much else to say, I'll sign off here. My name, of course, is Andrew French. I'm on Twitter at TheAndrewFrench, and this, this right here has been Page Fright. Page Fright.